about our first and third year, 17 to 17 years. That's not a short amount of time. And Ms. Wendy taught that class for close to 10 years. And you, it's been a while back. Um, we've been kind of working on trying to get a rotation going with our teachers, kind of give them a little bit of a break, break it up for them. And God brought in Miss Paula to take over for mom for a bit on a rotation. And that's going really well as far as I know. I mean, kids are beating around the school noodles today, so it's going really well. But we couldn't get someone for the first and third. And I told Heidi, I said, we just need to pray that God brings us someone. I said, I don't think our we have all of them. I mean, she's one of our helpers and everything. And I said, it's hard to ask someone who's already doing so many other things to add something else to his plate. And I said, we need to pray that God brings in someone special for this class. And thankfully, he brought in the mid-class. And so Cheryl's been up there helping out. And first and third, it's kind of a cutthroat age group, just FYI. That's that's one terrifies me because you've got the little that they're just getting smart enough to know how to get into big trouble, but they're still young enough and can't get too deep with it. So they're at a really dangerous age group. So thank you, Cheryl, for stepping up in that age group. And I know Heidi's grateful and we had a wager and now I guess she's backing out of the wager. So we're going to have to work on that. We're going to be in Judges chapter 4. I handed out pieces of paper to all of our little kids. If one of the kids didn't get one, or one of you adults want to participate in this, you can. I've got some extra paper up here. What I'm doing tonight is we're going over an interesting story, and I've asked the kids to kind of draw what we're going over. We're going to be in the book of Judges chapter 4. We're talking about Miss Laura's favorite Bible story, which I kind of worry about for Wes that her favorite Bible story is ends with her, and you'll see it in the spoilers, but Wes sleeps with one eye open, which really gives you a warm glass of milk in the morning. Keeps the tent, the tent stakes locked away. <laughs> but we're going to be in Judges chapter 4, and I've kind of titled this study, we're going to be in Judges 4 and 5 a little bit, and I've kind of titled this story, Outgunned. Have you ever felt outgunned in a situation? I feel like anytime I play dodgeball against my brother, I feel completely outgunned. I have the tattoos to prove it on those awful red dog legs. But have you ever felt you're going up against hopeless odds and that there's, there's going to have to be a miracle to overcome it? Have you ever gotten so trapped by something, whether it be a, a sin or a negative thought or some drama, that it, it keeps popping up and you're completely trapped by it? We have this theme in the book of Judges of house of letting sin win. And we see when we allow certain things into our lives, sin creates what the Bible calls a stronghold. And, it, and it's with this stronghold that Satan destroys our lives. So we see in this book of Judges that instead of fighting back in our own power, we surrender to God and he gives us a deliverer of some kind to overcome that sin. We start this chapter and the last judge we went over was in the last verse of Judges chapter 3 and it was Shamgar, and this, this story takes place about the same time as Shamgar. And we see that the Israelites had just been delivered from Eglon, the, the fat king, by the left-handed judge Ehud. And now at Ehud's death, we see them fall back into the same self-destructive pattern. And this is exactly what sin is for us. We can fight it, we can gain victory over it for a while, but if we're going to clean it, we're going to get over it, we have to clean it out completely. Growing up, and this might be too much information for you guys, but growing up, my 
my sister and myself inherited something from my mother. And it's her penchant for ingrown toenails. You guys ever had an ingrown toenail? Yeah, those things are no fun. And growing up, we used to get them all the time. And I, I feel like I got them the most. I probably didn't, but I feel like I was the main victim of this thing. You have to realize that Thane is always the main victim of everything in life. But I remember sitting one night, as we always went into their, their bedroom, and we sat on the bed, and Mom had a, her torture kit. Like, you've seen those movies where it rolls out, and there's all the tools. It's a pair of scissors and a, a pair of tweezers. And I remember this one time, vividly, she was getting this ingrown toenail out, and I screamed at the top of my lungs. What did I scream? They can hear me in China. That was what I screamed from the master bedroom sitting over here. But I remember that when she would deal with those little, that little toenail issue, you can't just get little bits to get out. You've got to clean it out completely. Kind of a gross illustration, but it's exactly what sin is for our life. We allow something to grow. We allow something to fester. And kids, you don't have to draw the ingrown toenail, FYI. Am I right? Yikes. <laughs> but we allow something to grow and fester that it starts to cause us a lot of pain. We had to get everything out or else it would grow back. Getting a bit of it out would offer some temporary relief, but in the long scheme of things, only delayed the oncoming suffering. So what needs to happen when we are confronted with sin and it completely outguns us? When we're outgunned and there's no way on earth that we can get through it, what do we do next? And this story that we see in Judges 4 tells a story of probably one of the most interesting judges we see, and for several reasons, but the main part is it's the only female judge we see. Another little thing you see, it's one of the only judges that God did not call personally. Reading through that, it was kind of interesting. You see Gideon is confronted by God. You see Ehud had power on him by God. Shamgar even had the power of God on him, but Deborah is someone that they found. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 4. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazel, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Herosheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of of Israel. So we see this hopeless situation is brought up. And we see that they're put in this situation where it seems hopeless. If you read in chapter 5, it, it tells a little bit in, in chapter 5 and verse 6, if you go over, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied and the travelers walked through byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. What we see is Sisera has come into this part of Herosheth. If you had a map of Israel at this time, Hazor is going to be in the northern part of Israel. And Herosheth would have been in close to the sea in the tribe of Asher. If you're looking at a hand, it's probably about right here, and then Hazor is up here. And what these two men did was occupy the entire northern part of Israel. They afflicted three major tribes, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And we'll talk about those in a bit. But we see that these people have gotten to this point where they're so overwhelmed by the chariots of iron that we see. And at that point, a chariot of iron would be similar to someone coming into our area with 900 tanks. 
and just don't know how to fight it. And they felt completely outgunned, and so naturally, when the going gets rough, they run to God a little too late. You see, sadly, true repentance often comes when we're confronted with the severity of the consequences of our sin. My mom's favorite phrase is, you're not sorry that you sinned, you're sorry you got caught. It's true. Sometimes are we that way? We're like, we'll live in our sin as long as we want, but that moment it comes up and we get caught, we're like, okay, now I feel bad. We get to that point, right? You see, you do not have to suffer the fear of consequences with God. Grace is available. We just need to accept it and get rid of our sin. So we see this hopeless situation. We see next a paradoxical leader. Look at verse 4. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidus, she judged Israel at the time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the Mount of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Like I said, Deborah was not summoned by God like the other judges. Instead, she was sought out by the people. The question I asked Dad, I asked Dad a little bit this week is, why? There's a lot of thoughts on this, but why would Deborah be the person that they would go to? And I'm studying this out, and as you consider, why was Deborah chosen? She was a prophetess, she was a wife, and we see she's a mother as well, it says in chapter 5. She was a spiritual leader to the people in a time when they didn't have one. There's two thoughts on this. Deborah was the leader because there wasn't another strong leader. Which shows a lot of shame on the men in Israel at the time. The second thing that someone says, and I, I like this, I, I think it goes more towards the weak-willed men that are in there, and Deborah was the one that could step up and actually lead. The second thought is that they had been greatly afflicted, the Bible says, and they had been put through this emotional and physical turmoil by Sisera and his goons that we see that God brought in someone who could offer more comfort and leadership in a time of great trial. And who's one of the most comforting persons that we all know? It's a mother. So there's those two thoughts in it. We have this idea that Deborah was chosen either because there was weak men or that God had someone special. But we have to realize this, that our usefulness for God is not determined by some factor that the world looks at as inferior. Ladies, don't let the world teach you that you need to be stronger than the men. God has called us each to a specific role in our lives. We often, they often say that women are the weaker vessel. As you study that word weaker, it actually means more valuable. It's like if I brought up dad's big Stanley Thurman and a small talus. Both hold liquid, but both have very different purposes in life. And that's the, that's the idea of that weaker vessel. You see, Deborah was chosen not because she was not because she was just a strong person, but God was choosing someone different to lead for his power to be known. She was found in Ephraim, which was in the far south. It was away from where Cicero was ruling. And you see, her leadership was renowned so much that she overshadowed the weak leaders throughout the north. Our influence is stronger when we put our heads down and just do the next right thing. When I was in the dorm, we have guys, and as an RA in the dorm, one of the things they told us is, look for guys to replace you next year when you're gone. 
So we'd look for guys in the dorm who showed leadership potential. We'd look for guys who were easy to follow or guys who were who, who were disciplined and whatnot. And I remember we'd, we'd have a lot of differences with the dean's office on things. And we'd go to the dean's office with a guy and they'd say, well, this guy doesn't do this right. Well, yeah, but the guy you're looking at, we had, we had this one time where they chose a guy. And all of us didn't want this guy. He was one of those guys that he was, he was looking to climb the ladder. He was looking to get ahead. He was, he was, you guys, if you've been around anywhere, he was the kind of guy that was very different around authority than he was around the regular people. I remember having that happen, and I remember it's like, no, we, we don't need this guy in this role. And we had sent several different guys, and uh, looking back now, that guy is actually not in the ministry today, but the, the guys we sent up are. Dad actually met one of these in Tennessee, a guy named Ben. Ben was not a very clean individual. He wasn't dirty, but he just, he kind of cluttered up and he worked a ton. There was no doubt that Ben was a leader on campus. Guys went to Ben for counsel. They went to Ben for advice. Ben was well known to being a very godly and influential person, but he didn't fit the mold. But you fast forward a few years to where that really didn't matter, but in today's society, Ben and his wife and their two kids are now serving faithfully at a church in Tennessee. Put our heads down. Don't strive for position. And just do the next right thing. When we do what God says, it will come naturally. Our influence will grow naturally. So we see a paradoxical leader leads to a questioning captain. Look at verse 6. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto thee the river, to, to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, and his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then will I not go. And she said, Surely go, I will go with thee, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell sister into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun Naphtali to Kadesh. And he went up with 10,000 men at his feet. And Deborah went up with him. You see, Deborah calls a military leader to help her fight Sisera. She called a man out of, out of Kadesh Naphtali. He's out of the tribe of Naphtali and named Barak. Barak was a, a captain of the host of soldiers in the tribe of Naphtali. If you were to study out some of the old tribes, Naphtali was known for shock combat is what it was called. Their symbol was a deer. Naphtali would be known as the type of people that would come in at some odd angle during a battle and attack swiftly. They wore lighter armor. They had smaller weapons, but they were known to be quick and deadly. And Barak was the captain of one of these tribes. He would have been a skilled warrior and would have been an expert in this type of combat. God provided the spiritual leader in Deborah, and now he provided the, the physical leader to lead the offense. God always provides for every situation. Look at verse 6 and 7. We see a strategy is laid out. Deborah and Barak lay out the strategy. They knew God wanted them to meet where God wanted them to meet Sisera at. Bring him to the river. Bring him to this river of Kishon and 
close to the Mount, Mount Tabor and bring him there and there we'll fight. It's also called the, it's close to the Valley of Megiddo. It's a large river running through it named Kishon and it separated Sisera from Jabin. God also provided the soldiers he needed out of the tribe of Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun was known for their sea trade. They were known to be great teamwork. They, they had a huge trade in the Mediterranean Sea, and they would, they would even go over to the Galilean Sea. And so you see these two different tribes have come together for a very specific reason. We also see that there weren't a lot of tribes that were backing them at this point. Judges 5 and verse 18. If those of you don't know, Judges 5 is Deborah and Barak's song. It's a, the, chapter 4 is written in prose, so it's written as a story, and chapter 5 is written in poetry. And chapter 5 and verse 18, Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeopardized their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. See, God provides the means to combat Satan and his weaponry. Sisera was feared because of the chariots he possessed, but God's location, we will see, for the battle evened out the odds. He brought him to a river. What happens when you bring heavy metal to a muddy field? Dustin, what happens? You get stuck. You get stuck, right? Chapter 5 and verse 19, it says this, The kings came and fought, then fought the kings of Canaan and Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, that's the river Kishon, they took no gain of money. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought, fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. That ancient river, the river Kishon, O oh my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. Then were the horses broken by the means of the prancings, the prancings of their mighty ones. Do you see the story here? God is weaving a strategy together to show that he is in complete control of the situation. The moment you feel outdone, the moment you feel overwhelmed, you have to step back and realize God has it under control. And now we go to the controversial verse of this entire chapter, verse 8. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. The question I ask dad, but you. How many of you heard the story of Barak and Deborah, and Barak is always portrayed as a coward? Raise your hand if you've heard that story in your life. I have, because I grew up here. I feel like it's, that's how people say, Barak wasn't a man's man, he needed a warrior to go with him. But Barak is mentioned later on in the Bible, in chapter 5, but also in a famous chapter in Hebrews called the Hall of Faith, chapter 5 and verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. Hebrews 11, verse 32, and what shall I more say? For the time was for me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel, and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms. We're talking about a man who's mentioned in the hall of faith. So I started asking this question. Why did Barak say he needed Deborah to go with him? Think about that for a bit. He was a man of faith, we see. He was a skilled warrior. We see later that his the glory is promised to a woman. We see that he knew the glory of battle. He was an experienced combatant. Here's what I think. 
He asked Deborah to go with him because she represented the presence and the voice of God to the Israelites. How often do we attempt something in our own power that when we want to see true success, we have to have God with us? How many times have you tried to do something in your own power? You're like, I'm going to get through this by myself. I'm going to get over this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through this fire and I can do it. And you fall flat on your face. You know what Brock said? Brock said, I'm skilled enough to be a warrior. I could do this. I have the manpower with these two tribes. God has promised me, but I'm not fighting without God by my side. Ladies and gentlemen, the building project we want to do might seem a lot. Financially, physically, emotionally, especially for the pastor. But with God with us, we can see it done. How often do we attempt something in our own power? Let's be more like Barack where we say, God, I'm going to go, but only if you go with me. You know what that's going to do? That's going to give us a lot of direction in our life. It's going to give us direction on what to do and what not to do. And we're going to finish up real quick. We see, a, we see in chapter, we see in verse 11 through 13, we see a, another character is introduced, a man named Heber, a Kenite. Heber was a, a metalsmith probably due to him being a Kenite. He had separated from his tribe who were allies of Israel, and he had allied himself with Sisera and Jabin. And he pitched his tent a little north of the battlefield, we'll see. And we see in verse 14, we see the battle take place. And Deborah said unto Barak, up for this day is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from the Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. I think of this, some days, Mr. Chris is going to get a face. Take, turn the camera up to Mr. Chris real fast so everyone on live stream can see Chris. I know he won't like this, but it'll be great. Wave hi, Mr. Chris. Mr. Chris has a really good habit of being extremely happy when we see him. How many of you guys have ever had Chris come up to you and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made, or Easter service at 6 a.m. He is risen with a big smile on his face as I'm sitting there down in my thick cup of coffee. But Mr. Chris is a very happy person, and you can take it off him. He's probably really, he's probably switched the cameras already. You know what I'm saying? But we often hear that thing of, this is the day which the Lord hath made. Some days that's a great way to wake up, right? <laughs> Think, hey, God's got this. This is the day that the Lord hath made. But some days we've got to wake up like Deborah and Barak. This is the day that God hath delivered my enemies into my hand. Some days we need to rephrase it and say, God, I'm going to war today for you. Verse 15, and the Lord discomfited, that's a fun word, means to be confused or to destroy or to break down, discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. You see, the greatest threat we often have is what God takes on first. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host unto Herosheth of the Gentiles, and all the host of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And we see the last part of this. We see a painful rest. 
to say that because it's funny, but it is true. Jail is a housewife. Don't mess with housewives. I'm going to put it that way. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. When he had turned into her, he sent and covered him with a mantle. And he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him to drink and covered him. Chapter 5 says uh, it's butter in a lordly dish. Again, he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be. When any man doth come and inquire of thee and say, Is there any man in here? That thou shalt say no. Then Jael, Peter's wife, took a nail of the tent and took a hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temples and fastened it to the ground. And he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came to her, into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in the temple. Uh, put it this way. Jael gives us a great strategy on combating sin. All of us fight sin every day. So here's how you fight it. She did not let her position dictate her ability. Jael was a housewife. Jael was unassuming. Jael would have been just a step above a slave in a lot of areas of that time, especially with a man like Sisera. She was considered nothing more than a helper in the house. You see, sin looks at us as weak and fragile and insignificant, but don't let your position dictate your ability. We have a responsibility to stand against sin. It doesn't matter if you think you're spiritually immature or too weak to fight. We must fight despite of that weakness. Number two, she brought sin to a place where it can be handled. If someone's struggling with alcohol, they don't want to go to the bar and talk about getting out of alcohol. We have to bring sin into submission. We have to bring our spirit into submission. You know where that is? It's close to God. You've got to bring your sinful nature close to God where God can handle it. The further you are from God, the harder your fight will be. Jael didn't meet Sisera out on the battlefield. She brought him into her home, the place where she was protected and provided for. She did not bring him to a place where she was out of place. She brought sin to a place where it can be handled. And number three, she utilized the tools she had instead of looking for new ones. I love how Jael fights with things that are familiar with her. At this point in her life, we don't know how old she is, but she probably had set up that tent hundreds of times. Moving one place to another, probably since she was a little girl. She knew what she was doing. You see, we've been given the strategies the Bible tells us. Flee youthful lusts. How many of you have heard that verse? How many times do we ignore it when those lusts come in? Set no wicked thing before your eyes, the Bible says. You see, maybe we need to get back to the basics of spiritual warfare. Maybe we need to stop searching for something new and start looking for what God has already equipped us with. So who are you in this story? Are you Sisera, a man fighting against God with mighty tools? Maybe you feel as if God isn't all what people says he is. You've decided that your own discernment, your own experience is enough to get you through. Some days God will bring you 
Someday God will bring your chariot of logic to the river of humility and you're going to have to decide what is important. Maybe you're Deborah, you're staying faithful in a time when people are leaving the faith. You realize that God has a purpose for you. You are needed in this fight. Don't let people look down on you or put you down as less than. Because God sees you as mighty and useful. Maybe you're Barak, you're starting your spiritual fight and you're feeling outgunned and overwhelmed. Or maybe you've been fighting for a while and you're searching for the next thing to bring you glory. See, the answer to both is look for God's presence to go with you. Maybe you're Heber. You haven't picked a side yet. You're just waiting to see who is going to come out on top. You're, you haven't given everything over to God yet. You've decided, I'm just going to wait and see. Realize it comes to a point where it's too late. Maybe you're Dale. You're ready to put sin down. You've had enough of it, and it's time to get rid of it. It's taken your life down, and it's hurt your family. You're tired of playing the part. Instead, you are ready to go on the offensive. God's given you the abilities to do it, and by his power, you can have victory. So when you're feeling outgunned, stay faithful. Make sure you've got God's presence on your side. And you fight sin at every turn. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us and providing for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.